Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.04 a.m. on the 10th of June, 2021. This is episode three, no, 435 of Bitcoin and the IMF seems to be kind of pissed. Let's see what the International Monetary Fund has to say about El Salvador, right? This is out of Reuters, uh, New York. The International Monetary Fund said on Thursday it has a number of economic and legal concerns regarding the move from El Salvador to make Bitcoin a parallel legal tender. El Salvador has become the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, with President Nayib Bukele touting its use for its potential to help Salvadorans living abroad to send remittances back home. Quote, adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender raises a number of macroeconomic, financial, and legal issues that require very careful analysis, says scumbag Jerry Rice, an IFM or IMF spokesperson during a scheduled press briefing. We are following developments closely and will continue our consultations with the authorities. God, if that's not vague. Rice <clears throat> said that the fund will later on Thursday meet with Bukele to discuss the Bitcoin law. El Salvador is in discussions with the IMF seeking a near $1 billion program. El Salvador's law means Bitcoin will have equal footing with the dollar, which became its official currency 20 years ago. All right, so <clears throat> the IMF literally sounds to me like they don't know how to react, so they're just reacting. Right, they're they're bringing up the law. Well, whose law? Okay, El Salvador is a sovereign country. They can do whatever the hell that they want. Now, if the IMF doesn't give them a billion dollar loan, well, okay, they can do that. I honestly believe El Salvador should tell them to take their billion dollar loan and shove it straight up their ass and never ever talk to the IMF again. Because if they do this, they probably won't need to. I mean, what do this as in like go ahead and, and adopt Bitcoin and, and just start, just keep going down the road. Because honestly, if Bukele backtracks on this thing after it's been in law, because the, I mean, the, his, his, everybody in parliament in El Salvador and all the people will understand that El Salvador and its president are simply just tools of the IMF. And honestly, I think we're coming to the end of this paradigm. I think we are really coming to the end of so that there's so many ignorant people that the IMF can do whatever the hell they want. Over the past few years, I have seen more people learn more about the way the economic structure of the world works that were never interested in it before than I ever thought even remotely imaginable. And that goes not just for, you know, people from the West. People all over the world are starting to dig into what is the IMF? What do they do? Do we actually need them? And a whole host of other, you know, questions. Honestly, I really think that they should just forego the loan and look to Bitcoiners for help.
you never know what can happen on that one. So IMF pulling out whatever gun they're able to pull out, as you might imagine. Now, in a surprise move with hell freezing over, we've got Francis Coppola. <laughs> no, I'm shit you not, dude. Let's go through this thread. Uh, she did a Twitter thread. I've unrolled it here for my reading, my reading pleasure and uh, figure out what it is that she's trying to say in toto. <clears throat> she says, and this was written yesterday sometime, my unpopular opinion, well, perhaps popular in some circles, the president of El Salvador's decision to adopt BTC as an alternative to the United States dollar for transactions in his country is actually quite sensible. Hey, did I mention that hell may be freezing over? The problem for dollarized countries is that because they do not have their own currency, they must dance to the monetary and fiscal tune of whichever country issues the, cur the, the, issues the currency that they use. I say monetary and fiscal because of the overriding need to maintain a positive BOP. But breaking the dollar dependence by issuing their own currency is not easy. Dollarized countries usually have a history of political and economic instability. Getting the world or even their own people to accept a currency issued by the government is hugely problematic. So adopting BTC potentially gives El Salvador the hard currency peg and monetary discipline it needs while breaking its monetary and fiscal policy dependence on the United States. It's not total monetary sovereignty, but it's an, but it's an improvement on the present situation. Adopting BTC is a reasonable solution for El Salvador and other dollarized countries with a history of instability, which want to break free from U.S. control. Does this mean that BTC is going to take over the world? No, emphatically, it does not. Oh, thank God, she's come back to normal here. Most countries don't have that degree of dollar dominance, and developed countries don't have that level of historical instability either. There's no need for them to adopt BTC to escape from USD dominance or to establish monetary discipline. Now, to the risk of El Salvador, hard currency pegs have a bad history in Latin American or Latin America. <clears throat> All too often, the fiscal ambition of the government outstrips the ability of the productive economy to earn FX, and the peg eventually falls or fails as FX reserve runs out. El Salvador will have to attract BTC into the country to build up reserves. Note, I'm not talking here about the 150 million USD trust fund intended to absorb BTC volatility. The president appears to be <clears throat> trying to attract BTC whales, which is a reasonable strategy, but the country will also have to develop BTC-based export industries, otherwise money will be very, very tight. Continuing to use USD as a parallel currency is sensible, especially as many Salvadorans use physical cash, but it could delay business adoption of BTC. The government guarantee for BTC conversion for businesses should help, but there's a huge degree of inertia. It may take a long time for the country to switch to the majority use of BTC. Government focus should be on export industries rather than domestic consumers. And yes, I am kind of stunned that she took what is essentially a pro-BTC stance here. I mean, she still is never going to love it for like, you know, she. I think she's operating under the assumption that we are 100% convinced that within, you know, 10 years, BTC will be the world's reserve currency. Hell, even I doubt that because, you know, you try to turn a trillion pound barge in the ocean on a dime and see what happens. It doesn't work all that well. And that's just because of momentum. 
everything in the world basically follows physics. We talked about physics a little bit yesterday, the, the physics of Bitcoin. <clears throat> but there's also more, phys, you know, more physics than just the laws of thermodynamics. There's the law of conservation of momentum. That's a big thing that, I mean, it, it happens whether you're talking about a trillion pound barge on the ocean, or you're talking about a 400 year old legacy financial system, right? Don't get your ass all thinking that in 10 years that BTC is going to be the only currency used in every country on the planet. That's not going to happen. And that's okay. I don't need that to happen. You don't need that to happen. Nobody actually needs that to happen that quickly. All right, we just, slow and steady. We just keep hammering at the problem. But what's funny about it is that we got Francis Coppola, the worst winemaker in the world, kind of reversing her stance on her, as much like well reversing her amount of hatred of BTC, and she talks about it in this in this thread in a fairly favorable light considering its application. So she's. She may come around. You never know, man. I don't know, whatever. But we got better fish to fry. 98% of blocks are signaling activation, and we only need 300 to go. Here's the latest on Taproot. This is Namcios writing for BitcoinMagazine.com. According to data from Taproot.watch, the Bitcoin protocol upgrade Taproot is underway to activate and will lock in soon with the current signaling ratio of 98.23% at the time of writing. Currently, 317 additional signaling blocks out of the remaining 491 blocks are needed in this epoch to lock activation in. Up to this point, only 27 blocks have not signaled taproot readiness compared to 1,498 ones that have. Currently, 99.28% of the Bitcoin network hash rate is signaling taproot readiness. Marapool has been mining signaling blocks since Sunday after its operating company, Marathon, announced that it would stop censoring blocks and start signaling for taproot in late May. As a result, only the unidentified BTC pool and unrecognized miners have not signaled readiness for the protocol upgrade per taproot.watch, amounting to less than 1% of the total network hash rate. Therefore, the Taproot software specified in BIP341, which would expand on Bitcoin's smart contract flexibility while offering more privacy in doing so, is very likely to be locked in during the current signaling epoch. Taproot's speedy trial deployment method, a variation of BIP9, requires that at least 90% of blocks mined in a 2016 block epoch signal readiness for the software. The method, which opened in April and will end in August, would lock in Taproot as a Bitcoin protocol upgrade around November 2021 if such conditions are met, prompting Bitcoin nodes to adopt the soft fork and enforce it going forward. But older software will continue to operate without modification after Taproot activation because it is a soft fork. However, according to BIP341, non-upgraded nodes are strongly encouraged to upgrade to fully validate the new programs. Nonetheless, new up <clears throat> sorry, non-upgraded wallets could st still send and receive Bitcoin from any wallet by using pre-taproot methods. Additionally, some non-upgraded wallets might be able to send to new programs if they support sending to BIP 173 BEC32 addresses. So there you go. Looks like Matt O'Dell was wrong again. I'm not seeing any chicanery. That's okay, Matt. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm not. I'm not really. We're not bagging on on Matt O'Dell. People are are too preoccupied right now 
bagging on Robert Breedlove. I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just not, okay? Um, but, you know, Matt had been saying that we're going to see some mining chicanery, and I was agreeing with him up until Musk opened his big fat mouth. And when he crashed the price, and it wasn't, and I've said it before, it wasn't just him. It was a conglomeration. I think it was, I think we're still under a state level attack and it's going to last for God only knows how long. But he was basically the tip of the spear on that one. So we'll just say must crash the price 50%. You know, the miners lost, you know, they lost a lot of headroom in their business operations because of that. And I think, without even getting on the phone to each other, I think they came to some kind of unspoken consensus that they were like going to say, fuck it and unite and not be dicks this time. And I think that that's what we're seeing because it looks to me like Taproot's going to activate. Yeah. Well, it's going to lock in. It's not going to activate until November. There's, there's a difference, right? So that's what speedy trial was for. Let's just at least get it signaled so that we can figure out who wants to do what. And if we get 90%, then it, the activation is locked in, and no matter what happens after that, you're either ready for the taproot activation on your end as a miner, or you are not, and that's up to you. All right, but taproot is going to activate, and it's going to be in November. All right, China's latest Bitcoin crackdown sees exchanges censored, miners go offline, while China figures out a nifty way to shoot themselves in both feet using two six shooters. Major internet service companies in China, including Baidu and Weibo, are censoring keywords related to Bitcoin exchanges as verified by Bitcoin Magazine. At the time of writing, Google like Baidu and Twitter like Weibo are both emitting search results, effectively censoring specific Bitcoin exchange related keywords. Although personal profiles of Chinese cryptocurrency opinion leaders like Binance founder Shengpeng Zhao are still available on Weibo, both services show zero search results when searching for Bitcoin exchanges, Binance, OKX, or Huobi. The censorship follows a statement from China's state council that said the government would crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading behavior and resolutely prevent the transfer of individual risks to the society. On Weibo, for instance, searching for Binance wields a message, or probably meant yields a message that reads, according to relevant laws, regulations, and policies, the search results Binance are not displayed. And when searching for OKX on Baidu, the website returns that Baidu found zero related, uh, related results for you. Sorry, no pages related to OKX were found. As verified by Bitcoin Magazine, the pattern is repeated when searching for Binance and OKX and Huobi on both platforms. China's state council statement demanding a crackdown on Bitcoin mining and trading last month is also posing a threat to some of the largest Bitcoin mining facilities in the country and in the world. According to the report by The Block, one of the major economic and technological development zones in the Xinjiang province in China has received a notice demanding that the area shut down all Bitcoin mining operations immediately. The Reform and Development Commission in the Shangji Huo Autonomous Prefecture in Xinjiang issued a notice on Wednesday to its subordinate government offices in the Zhudong Economic Technological Development Park per the report. God, that is a mouthful, dude. According to the notice, officials in the development park have been instructed to shut down all crypto mining activities under their administration by 2 p.m. China time on Wednesday. 
The park houses some of China's biggest Bitcoin mining facilities, all powered by fossil fuel energy. It was also home to various coal production industries, including industrial factories and coal-based power plants. The institution follows recent comments, or the instruction follows recent comments by Bitcoin mining rig manufacturer Canaan that argued against China's regulatory crackdown on the industry. Representatives of the company argued that the sector diminishes energy waste, help creates jobs, and nourishes the local economy, but apparently to no avail. Though it's hard to determine how much of Bitcoin's hash rate is currently fed by the Shangji Prefecture's fossil fuel power plants, the Zhengdong Park has undeniably become a Bitcoin mining hub. Therefore, a shutdown of all Bitcoin mining operations in the park might take a toll on the Bitcoin network hash rate, currently at around 155 exahashes per second per glass node data. The network's hash rate has been relatively stable over the past couple of weeks, increasing by nearly 50% in one year. The precise impact on the Bitcoin hash rate is hard to predict. However, the network's hash rate may experience a short-term decline as miners are forced to relocate their operations away from Zhejiang. In addition, China's recent regulatory crackdown on Bitcoin mining and related financial institutions may incentivize miners to leave the country altogether, a trend that has already started to brew. Finally, although the Bitcoin hash rate may suffer in the short term, it is set to recover in the medium to long terms as miners relocate. <clears throat> Furthermore, a reduction of hash rate does not negatively impact the, ne the network security, as explained in a video by Coinmetrics' Nick Carter, in which he commented on China's mining bans. Carter also highlighted that by forcing Bitcoin mining out of China, Bitcoin's carbon emissions would be reduced as miners relocate to greener power plants abroad. And yeah, yeah, so there we go. This not going to, in the long term, it's not going to do dick, except it's going to destroy China economically. Because the rest of the world, I think the rest of the world is going to look at it and go, shit, we got a chance to pull the plug on China. And if you think that there's only a couple of countries in the world that want to pull the plug on China, like the U.S. and maybe the EU, you are sorely mistaken. And it's not the people of China that are the problem. The people are fine. It's like the people, the citizenry of all countries are, generally speaking, they just want to go about their lives. It's the governments of these countries that are the problem. And that they have always been the problem. All right, so it would be the government, the federal government of the United States would love to see China just basically collapse, right? So would Australia, honestly. Um, <clears throat> they'll say that they won't because they're the nearest trading partner, but dude, you, Australia has trades with Malaysia, the Philippines, India, all the West and East Coast countries of Africa. I, they're not going to be hurt if China gets gets ripped, right? So. Uh, China's literally, they've pulled out both their guns and all they're doing is shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't think that they know it. I, th I think that they think that this is a fad and I think that they're betting in the wrong direction. And I think it's going to come back to bite them in the ass, dude. Just like Poca, or rather Focahontas here, Elizabeth Warren, U.S. lawmakers put Bitcoin on trial in Senate CBDC hearing. Yeah, the hearings that don't do anything. The hearings that actually don't produce anything but pages and pages of testimony and nothing ever actually comes from them. It's such a great expenditure of U.S. tax dollars, if you ask me. All right, this is out of Coindesk, and Nicholas Day is writing it. U.S. lawmakers may be 
warming to a central bank digital currency. But while CBDCs drew some of the attention during Wednesday's Senate Banking Committee hearing, the issues around Bitcoin drew far more attention from the group of lawmakers led most vocally by the lying Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. Now, before I, you know, before we continue, it should be noted that for the longest time she held that she was part Native American and she was able to get some pretty comfy uh, chairs over at, at universities being able, by being able to say that because she was, quote, diverse and she wasn't, quote, white. And it come to find out that she has barely any, any Native American blood in her at all, which she acknowledges. That means that she lied about her Native American heritage for economic and personal and social gain. If you think that this is an ethical person, I got bridges all over Arizona to sell you, pal. Seriously, dude. The subcommittee on economic policy chaired by the lying Warren is, going, is likely going to hold further hearings on the cryptocurrency sector as well. The hearing presented one of the sharpest criticisms of Bitcoin from U.S. lawmakers to date, even as smaller countries like El Salvador moved to accept the cryptocurrency as legal tender. Warren's views are likely a preview of how the issue may be discussed in other upcoming hearings, with counterparts in the House of Representatives holding a similar discussion next week. Quote, if you want to send money to somebody else, digital currencies can be easier and faster, Warren said as she opened the hearing. But in order for those advantages to be realized, the digital version needs to be secure, stable, and accepted everywhere. In response, MIT Digital Currency Initiative Director Niha Narula pointed out that Bitcoin's value is not stable, pointing to the recent market drop of about 40%. Oh, joy. Warren then likened cryptocurrencies to wildcat notes <laughs> issued in the past. Warren's view is markedly different from Senator Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming, the pro-Bitcoin lawmaker who launched a financial innovation caucus last month. Lummis contrasted nations using Bitcoin, naming El Salvador's recent bill to adopt the cryptocurrency as legal tender with the United States' possible approach. Warren also took aim at Bitcoin and other proof-of-work cryptocurrencies' environmental costs, of course, saying it draws as much energy as the Netherlands and could use as much energy as every other data center on Earth by the end of the year. Remember in 2012 when the article came out that said by 2020 all of the Earth's electric resources was going to be used to mine Bitcoin? Yeah, this is the same. This has the same energy. All four witnesses... Narula, Columbia's law, Columbia Law's Lev Menand, Stanford University's Daryl Duffy, and Digital Dollar Foundation Director Chris Giancarlo argued that a well-built well -built digital dollar would prove useful to the U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, who chairs the full Senate Banking Committee, expressed a support Wednesday for the idea of a Federal Reserve-issued CBDC saying it could complete or complement a no-fee bank account plan that he has proposed. Quote, Americans shouldn't have to pay exorbitant fees just to use the money they've already earned. A central bank digital currency can work with these no-fee accounts to make sure working families have access to the payment system and full participation of our economy. You better put a tie on that suit speak, bitch. Uh, it, arguments in favor of CBDCs varied. Mainand said that they could allow for large companies to find new ways of storing value, not if you're in control of it. Quote, offering non-defaultable money with no maximum amount would be stabilizing for the U.S. financial system in ways that people haven't thought about 
and added, it would be very helpful to large companies to be able to hold very, very large cash balances in a non-defaultable amount. And this could crowd out a lot of unsafe and unstable alternative products that those companies use right now. Yeah, read between the lines on that. They do not want competition. Competition is a sin. And that's how you're kept in slavery. Okay? So, yeah, Warren being on the warpath is about as funny as anything that I've ever seen considering what a lying sack of shit she is. Remember, do not ever forget that she lied about her Native American heritage for economic and societal gain. She acknowledged that she lied about it, but she never said that she lied about it. She just said that she was aware that the genetic testing said something other than what she had previously stated, but that she couldn't possibly have known without a genetic test. She's been saying this shit for 30 fucking years. She's been lying about her Native American heritage for 30 years, and she's gotten massive economic and societal gains out of it. And when the, when the hammer came down, and it was proven that she had less than one thirty-second of Native American blood, which, by the way, if your family has lived in America for over 100 years, the chances are good you've probably got some Native American blood in you somewhere, right? That's just the way genetics works from one breeding population interfering with another breeding population. And that shit just happens, all right? So <clears throat> she's lied about her past. <clears throat> she's lying about Bitcoin, and she's lying about what she sees as a CBDC being an advantage over something like Bitcoin, it can't be because it's going to be controlled by the very same people that are issuing your digital dollars right now. So just don't pay her very much attention and let's just continue to build and continue to interact with people that are outside of our own regional domains. The more that we do that, the more we actually form a network that is not dependent on any one set of rules of sovereignty. It's set on a sovereignty that we build for ourselves by the network that we build. Just keep that in mind. Keep doing that, and I think we're going to win, guy. Why every single person needs Bitcoin. Uh, Paul Apoku is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. It really, it's, it's become really easy to get lost with all the volatility and headlines present in Bitcoin lately. The various altcoins are becoming more and more distracting, albeit ever useless. And new entrants into the space continue to make us forget the real reason why we are here. Unfortunately, the people behind these schemes simply don't understand what a crucial time we are living through. Bitcoin is affixed to the current corrupt system. Traditionally, governments collect some percentage of goods and services produced and manufactured in their respective economies in the form of taxation. The state takes the taxes from productivity, then collects and reinvests this into the country. What, in, by way of bombing weddings in Pakistan? I, I don't know. What. These investments could be anything from in, infrastructure, oh, here it is, <clears throat> to the military. The original purpose and function of all governments, past and present, and taxation is to protect the people, to protect the country, and to build out the infrastructure. Ideally, there is an alignment of incentives where what is good for the people is also good for the government. By reinvesting these tax receipts back into the economy, the country grows and is able to modernize its infrastructure, thus allowing everyone to become more productive. Higher productivity coupled with reinvestment of tax revenue grows an economy and thus grows its overall tax base. A government can collect more taxes 
the more production grows. Organic growth of an, of an economy disincentivizes the government from raising tax rates. However, our economies are being heavily driven by central banks. Enter, money printer, go burr. Our economies are driven by excessive quantitative easing. Rather than funding government spending with tax revenue and keeping a balanced budget, central banks put up new money to buy government debt, thus allowing the government to spend beyond its means. The key issue with a central bank-driven economy where the government can have its central bank simply print new money is that at this point, the state no longer has to care about reinvesting tax revenues into the economy, the infrastructure, or the education system in order to benefit the people and grow the tax base. The state no longer has to rely solely on taxes. It can simply utilize as much new money from the central bank as needed. Look at the current U.S. federal budget for the fiscal year 2021 and ask yourself, how is this sustainable? Under this system, taxes don't go away. They go up, way up. Wealth and savings wither away through 2% annual inflation. Under this central bank-driven economy, the alignment of incentives between the government and the people is broken. With monetization, assets such as stocks and real estate go up in price over time. As a result, we get more wealth inequality as those who own these assets become even wealthier. The people who don't own assets have no hedge against excessive money printing as their cost of living increases. Senseless killing and wars are financed by governments via their central banks. Wealth inequality drives social unrest. Instead of governments being honest with their citizenry, they would rather lie and pit them against each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably like, a, like they're probably looking at it like a huge gladiator ring and just enjoying the show. When I talk about Bitcoin, it's not about number go up or have fun staying poor, although these quips may be humorous, but about buying and holding Bitcoin as an imperative. It's a way of fighting the central bank-driven economy. Bitcoin is the one unique way by which we can protest against and possibly overthrow this system. There's a lot of deep thought that has gone into and still flows into Bitcoin. How the Bitcoin network operates is immaculate and majestic all by itself. Bitcoin is still a mystery unfolding between, before our eyes. I'd go so far as to compare it to how chaotic yet awe-inspiring our universe is. You simply don't see that in other projects. As Alex Gladstein states in his amazing article, 87% of the planet is born into autocracy or considerably less trustworthy currencies. 4.3 billion people live under authoritarianism and 1.2 billion people live under double or triple digit inflation. People like Paul Krugman, Charlie Munger, and Western elites anger me whenever they lend their thoughts on Bitcoin to the rest of us. They enjoy a degree of civil liberties and stable currencies most of the world simply hasn't. In the summer of 2018, I visited the Palestine territories. I have seen what our current central bank-driven economic system has done the world over. Fix the money, fix the world. Let's run the numbers. I'm just going to use cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities, considering that they're tracking the actual price at this point. Now that the market is open, uh, flammable liquids are on fire, dude. Get it on whatever. West Texas intermediate is up 0.44%. It is now above $70 a barrel at $70 and 27 cents. Brent North sea likewise up the same amount. It's, at $72.54. Natural gas 
1.2% to the upside is coming in at $3.16 for a thousand cubic feet of that. All the shiny metal rocks are down except for silver, which is up 0.17% at $28.05 an ounce. Gold coming in at $1,894.20. That's a 0.06% to the downside change. Uh, platinum coming in down 0.5. Copper is down almost a full point. Palladium is down one quarter of a point. All the agricultural futures are up with corn being the one that is the highest, 1.74% uh, to the upside on that. Rough rice is down 1.8%. And let's see here. Oh, lean hogs are up 0.15 if you're interested in that. Live cattle up 0.28%. Uh, contracts coming in at $117.72. I'm not exactly sure how the, the cattle and hog stuff actually work, but whatever. Uh, Dow futures are up point, or sorry, the Dow is up 0.32%. The S&P uh, is up 0.36%. The NASDAQ is up 0.6%. And the S&P mini is down 0 0.08. So let's talk about real money at this point. Bitcoin is at 37,125. 234,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is 9,700 transactions every hour on the hour with only half a million BTC being sent in this past 24 hour period. And that's 23,600 BTC every hour on the hour changing hands. 2.42 BTC is the average transaction value, while 0.025 BTC is the median transaction value. And that's right at 934 bucks. Block times are high, like really high, like 12 minutes and 52 seconds high. Can't imagine why. 0.41 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 42.7 BTC taken overall as fees in the last 24 hour period with a good God, 30% drop in hash rate. We are down to 118 exahashes per second. I'm really happy that this is coming at the end of this difficulty epoch so that we'll maybe we'll get a like a really good, and when I mean a good correction on the difficulty, I mean, a well-represented, because we have enough time for the difficulty adjustment to get more information before it actually flips to a new difficulty setting. We're gonna have to see how that works, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we end up, you know, we end up coming down quite a bit on difficulty. So we match with this 30% drop in hash rate. Man, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Dogecoin is your shitcoin indicator and it's at 31 US pennies. We have 29,600 transactions waiting on 20 blocks to clear. We have <clears throat> $691.5 billion of market capitalization, which is 5.64% of gold's market cap. And we can still buy uh, 19.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with one Bitcoin. There are 18,731,616.5 BTC in circulation at this time at a Clark Moody price of 36,915. We have a 1,464.5 BTC locked in the Lightning Network that has a capacity value of $54.1 million being spread across 11,831 nodes representing 48,983 channels. Percentage of Tor capacity of the Lightning Network holding pretty stable, 
That means there's 926.1 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 6,134 Tor nodes that we can see. Taproot activation, well, we just went through it, but since I read you that story, we are waiting on now 208 signaling blocks, not 311, which is what I read in the story earlier this morning, or yeah, earlier this morning. So we're only waiting on 208 additional blocks. We have a total of 1,607 signaling blocks or block signaling for Taproot, and still only 27 blocks are uh, have been mined that are not signaling for Taproot. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Got a dick measuring contest. Doge versus BTC. Elon Musk declares crypto space race with BitMEX has begun. Samuel Haig tells us more from Cointelegraph. Don't mind the rooster in the background. I can't do anything about him except maybe kill him. And I, he's too much fun to play with. I, I won't get into it, but putting my foot under the fence and watch him a, a, attack it and try to spur it is actually kind of a lot of fun. That's why he's still alive. Otherwise, he would have been soup. But I just, he's a magnificent looking bird and he's actually fun to play with. So I know it's weird. That's whatever. A 21st century space race appears to be brewing between Elon Musk and BitMEX, with both parties pledging to launch their respective crypto of choice to the literal moon first. On Friday, popular crypto derivatives exchange BitMEX announced that it would be supporting space robotics firm Astrobotic technology and the company's mission to send its first commercial lander to the moon during Q4 of 2020. Uh, yeah, well, okay, that's got to be a mistake, guys. When was this written? Hold on, I got to make sure this this got okay. This is 11 hours ago, so they must be must be a misprint. Q4, let's say Q4 of 2021, okay, because it's whatever. Noting that the mission aims to be the first instance in which a private company leading a coalition of government, academia, industry, and international partners reaches the lunar surface, BitMEX plans to make the occasion by delivering a one-of-a-kind physical Bitcoin to the moon's surface, referring to Musk as a Dogecoin protagonist. BitMEX added, quote, we've got nothing against dog money. We felt it was only right to help Bitcoin get there first, end quote. The announcement follows Musk's early May news that SpaceX is planning to launch a Dogecoin-funded payload on one of its first rockets to the moon, asserting that Dogecoin would become the first cryptocurrency to reach lunar orbit next year. Musk responded to BitMEX's newfound astronomic ambitions on Twitter, proclaiming a new space race has begun. While replies to Elon's tweets are largely his followers baracking for Dodge, <laughs> <laughs> baracking to win the crypto space race others noted that more pressing problems are on earth than whether one's crypto token of choice is the first to enter orbit around another celestial body and this do doug zart has written this one it says can we take care of the problems here on earth before we thrust ourselves into space while homeless people sleep in the streets and the middle class struggles to get by what the fuck is wrong with you look around Kind of have to echo that sentiment, honestly. While few projects exploring the utility of establishing crypto infrastructure from space have captured the mainstream imagination like Musk's Dogecoin expedition has, the Tesla CEO plans to take cryptocurrency out of this world are not the first. Blockstream appears to have been the first in pioneering the use of crypto satellites. 
launching satellites to broadcast Bitcoin transactions from space in August 2017. What do you mean appears to be? Okay, Blockstream did do this. However, what they didn't do was launch a satellite. The people keep getting this wrong and I don't see how. Blockstream does not have launch facilities. They did not rent launch facilities. They did not do anything other than book time on a transponder on an existing satellite that they don't own. They're renting it. That always makes me nervous because somebody somewhere in the government or a government can tell the operator of the satellite, you will delete that transponder and give it to somebody else and not let Blockstream have it any longer. We don't give a fuck how much they're paying you. That worries me. That's why I would rather Blockstream did have their own launch facilities and did build their own satellite and did launch it all by themselves. But be that as it may, they have not done that. They just rent time on the satellite. Please get that through. Uh, also, they Blockstream and some other, it was, it was, I can't remember if it was Blockstream or not, but some people uh, have already bounced radio waves off the moon and those radio waves carried a PBST, a partially, or PSBT, a partially signed Bitcoin transaction, bounced it from Earth off of the face of the planet and back down to earth someplace else. And that, that dude signed the, the partially signed Bitcoin transaction and the transaction was then logged into the actual blockchain. So it doesn't matter what BitMEX or Elon does. Bitcoin has already been to the moon. We've already done it. First in space, first on a space station and first on the moon. Please be clear about that when somebody tries to FUD again later on and God knows that they will. In August of 2020, Robonomics and Kusama announced an ambitious plan to develop an interplanetary architecture capable of relaying data between Mars and Earth using the Kusama network. CryptoSat outlined the concept behind its ambitious plan to launch a nanosatellite the size of a coffee mug into space in a November 2017 white paper with the satellite slated to operate as an isolated cryptographic module from orbit. The team plans to prove the concept with a launch this year before sending an entire constellation of cryptosats into orbit later, later on. Space Chain similarly launched in 2017 or 2017 and has successfully deployed nodes in orbit on June the 3rd, 2021. The project announced that its multi-sig Ethereum play payload destined for installation on the International Space Station has been launched aboard a SpaceX rocket. So whatever, man, it, it's honestly a, a crypto space race is about as worthless as, as I've ever seen. Until you got settlements on the moon, settlements on Mars, unless you got boots on the ground, I don't give a shit if there's a satellite carrying a Doge wallet around the moon. That's just ridiculous, okay? So anyway, but that's the, this is the dick measuring contest that we have going on between BitMEX and, uh, and Elon Musk, and it's just honestly embarrassing. Uh, <clears throat> Basil News uh, gives Bitcoin a boost. This is out of Coindesk. Amkar Godbull is going to tell us about it. Uh, Bitcoin hit highs above $38,000 on Thursday after the Basel Committee, that's spelled B-A-S-E-L, it may be pronounced Basel, I don't know. Anyway, the Basel Committee's proposal gives banks a green light to hold the leading cryptocurrency and other digital assets. Uh, we hit a high of 38,461 during the European hours, extending Wednesday's double-digit rally to above 37,500. 
The Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, which sets international banking standards, recommended stricter capital requirements for holding Bitcoin than stocks and or bonds. The committee proposed a risk weight of 1,250% for Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies, excluding stablecoins that are fully backed by reserves. It means a bank would be required to hold capital equivalent to the face value of the Bitcoin exposure. That sounds like full reserve to me, and that would be incredible because they're going to actually have to buy the asset. They can't, they can't rent it. They have to buy it and they have to hold it. So if they're going to offer it, then they're going to have to buy it. This is bullish for Bitcoin. Anyway, a $100 exposure would give rise to risk-weighted assets of $1,250, which when multiplied by the minimum capital requirement of 8% results in a minimum capital requirement of $100, i.e. the same value as the original exposure as 12.5 is reciprocal of 0.08, the proposal said. While Basel or Basel has categorized Bitcoin as a high-risk asset, Bitcoin's reaction suggests the market was likely expecting worse. As cryptocurrencies begin to make their way into the traditional financial ecosystem, it is only normal to expect various regulatory bodies to begin to set and then also try to coordinate regulatory initiatives to protect savers and investors. Denis Vinokurov, head of research at Syngeria Capital, said, quote, risk is over-regulation, but equally lack of regulation will also prevent further adoption in mass. Basel, Basel's proposal to split assets into groups makes logical sense given the different volatility and risk parameters. The recommendation comes as regulators across the globe are stepping up plans to regulate the still nascent market. On Wednesday, China stepped up its crackdown on Bitcoin, asking miners based in Qinghai or Qinghai province to shut down operations. Yeah, more China FUD. It, I just, China's just going to get left behind and I'm not going to worry about them. New analysis sheds light on the DOJ Bitcoin seizure as JBS pays massive $11 million ransom. Martin Young out of Cointelegraph has it. JBS USA Holdings Incorporated has paid an $11 million ransom in Bitcoin to cyber criminals as new details emerge over the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation's recovery of assets from a previous heist. The payment, estimated to be more than 300 BTC at current prices, was made to shield JBS factories from further disruption. The firm is the world's largest meat company by sales, processing beef, poultry, and pork from Australia to South America and Europe. Andre Nagorira, oh, I can't pronounce his name, CEO of the Brazilian meat company's U.S. division, said that the payment was painful and made after the majority of JBS plants were up and running again to ensure there were no further attacks. According to the Wall Street Journal, the FBI last week attributed the JBS attack to Revil, a criminal cybercrime group with ties to guess who? Russia. Yeah. Bullshit. The latest high-profile Bitcoin ransom payment will no doubt add to pressure on legislators to act. Earlier today, Senator lying Elizabeth Warren called for tighter regulation, stating that cryptocurrency has created opportunities to scam investors, assist criminals, and worsen the climate crisis. Regarding the recent ransomware attack, she said, quote, every hack that is successfully paid off with a cryptocurrency becomes an advertisement for more hackers to try more cyber attacks. I'm going to stop myself. 
The attack on JBS, which was discovered on May 30th, was part of a wave of incursions using ransomware that also targeted Colonial Pipeline, the operator of a pipeline bringing gasoline to parts of the United States East Coast. As reported by Cointelegraph, the FBI managed to recover 63.7 BTC from the 75 BTC ransom paid by the firm to another, quote, Russian-linked hacker group called Darkside. At the time, the crypto community questioned the methods used by the federal agency to gain access to the private keys for the target address. It was also suggested by some that Coinbase was involved in the seizure, but company executives denied any connection. According to crypto asset insurance company Evertus, Darkside was likely already on the law enforcement's radar and had confirmed that it had lost control of its infrastructure, including the ability to extricate crypto funds. It notes that according to the affidavit, the private key for the subject address wallet in the possession of the FBI in the Northern District of, Con uh, District of California, not the actual funds. Ugh, still is confusing. Evertus analyzed the transfers using a combination of open source tools and subscription-based blockchain analytics to reveal that the hacker group split the ransom over three addresses in early May. The analyst or the analysis reveals that Darkside controlled multiple addresses containing a total of 114 BTC up until the middle of May. On Monday, 63.7 BTC were seized from one of the addresses, and Evertus believes the FBI probably controls the rest. Evertus suspects that the FBI likely now controls the remaining almost 114 BTC and may be working to tie other payments made to Darkseid by other victims of the hackers, uh, RAS, R-A-A-S, ransomware as a service, before affecting official seizures of the remaining funds, end quote. The revelation may sound positive, but analysts at data analytics firm Global Data believe that cryptocurrencies have just become a lot less secure as the seizure sets the path toward fiat currency style control. Thematic analyst at Global Data, Dianel Rashid, said, quote, Bitcoin was supposed to liberate us from government control, decentralized and out of the government's hands. The fact that the U.S. government has managed to recover most of this ransom despite it being paid in Bitcoin goes directly against this. That is bullshit. <clears throat> okay, this is the, the fault of all this is on both sides of this transaction. And we're not talking about the FBI seizure. First of all, JBS and Colonial Pipeline, get your ever-loving shit together and stop putting crap online. Both of these, from what I understand, both of these hacks had nothing to do with them turning valves off or anything like that via the internet. It was their invoicing system that was hit. You hit somebody's invoicing system, then that company doesn't know how to invoice their customers for goods and services sold. So that's why Colonial Pipeline shut down the pipe because they didn't know how to bill anybody. That's why these dudes at the meatpacking JBS company, that's why they shut down their line, not because the line wasn't working, but because they didn't know how to bill their customers. Dude, if you don't have a backup billing system, what the hell's wrong with you? Should you even be in business? Should you even be that large? No. So that shit's on you. Now, as far as the hackers are concerned, your key management is your own fucking problem. You lost the Bitcoin because you didn't handle your keys in a, in, in a way that you should have handled your keys. Should have been multi-sig. Should have been multi-jurisdictional. Should never been in a hot wallet. Should never, like, if there's, there's rumors that this shit was on, on, on some kind of cloud wallet. I don't know. But what the FBI did not do was crack 
EC or ESCDA or ESDCA. I can't remember the, the ECDSA. Yeah, ecliptic curve. Okay, that's how we get our private. That's how we generate our private keys. They did not hack that. They didn't. This was key management failure at the level of the ransomware hackers. Okay, so it's their fault. The FBI didn't, you know, they used analytic tools. Yes, we've known this. The, the language in this, the language from Danielle Rashad about it was supposed to liberate us from the government control, but it's not doing that. Oh, fuck you. you learn how to use the tool. Jesus, it's like the car was supposed to get me to from point A to point B, and now I'm, I'm stuck in a ditch. And the guy on the side of the road looking at the entire situation said, there was a bridge right over there. You should have gone over the bridge. That way you wouldn't have ended up in the ditch. Get my drift, bro. Get my drift. Speaking of people who don't get their own drift, man, if I were to flip a steak like this on a grill this many times, ugh, it would come out of shoe leather. India to reportedly ditch Bitcoin ban agenda in favor of asset classification. So here we are again, full circle. I believe this is the third time that we've gone through the cycle of India banning Bitcoin. Osato Avin Namoyo is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, the tide may have finally turned, oh no, finally turned for cryptocurrencies in India as reports indicate a softer stance by the government towards crypto again. According to a report by the New Indian Express on Thursday, the government's hostile stance towards Bitcoin appears to be shifting toward more common sense regulatory policies for cryptocurrencies. According to inside sources quoted by the publication, authorities have dropped earlier plans for a blanket Bitcoin ban in favor of classifying cryptocurrencies as an alternative asset class. Again, the Securities and Exchange Board of India will reportedly be tasked with overseeing crypto regulations in the country in collaboration with the finance ministry. These inside sources also claim that Parliament will debate a comprehensive crypto regulatory bill during the monsoon session beginning in July. An expert panel created by the finance ministry is reportedly studying protocols for crypto regulation and its finding could form part of the parliamentary deliberations next month. Commenting on the emerging positive signals on the crypto, crypto regulatory front, Kitan Sarana, a member of the Internet and Mobile Association of India, said, quote, We can definitely say that the new committee, which is working on cryptocurrencies, is very optimistic on cryptocurrency regulation and legislation, end quote, back in May. IndiaTech.org, a technology lobby group in India, urged the government to define crypto as digital assets and not currencies. Meanwhile, the Reserve Bank of India remains a staunch crypto critic, with the central bank recently stating that its position on cryptocurrencies remains unchanged. However, the RBI has distanced itself from reports that it mandated banks to block services to crypto exchanges. Indeed, India's Supreme Court overturned in March 2020 a 2018 RBI ban that prohibited banks from servicing cryptocurrency exchanges, as previously reported by Cointelegraph, three major crypto exchanges, Kraken, Bitfinex, and KuCoin, are looking to enter the Indian market. And now the door is open for that. Again, I'm serious. This is the, th I, I'm pretty sure this is the third time that we've gone through this, this flip-flop cycle. It's amazing. So win number four, 
I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's amazing. But Samuel Haig has something even more amazing from Cointelegraph. Okay, it's not that amazing, but it is going on and it directly involves Bitcoin. Pomp, apparently Anthony Pompliano sparks a debate. Has Bitcoin DeFi project sovereign really overtaken Uniswap V3 by total value locked? Sovereign, a Bitcoin money market protocol built on Bitcoin-based smart contract platform RSK, recently appeared to be shooting up through the decentralized finance rankings. On Wednesday, Bitcoin commentator Anthony Pompliano shared data to his 1 million followers from decentralized finance data aggregator DeFi Llama, indicating the, pro the protocol has amassed a total value locked of $1.95 billion, ranking it 14th for the sector and beating out DeFi darling Uniswap V3. Pompliano and many of his followers are aggrieved that Ethereum-focused platforms such as DeFi Pulse do not list Bitcoin DeFi projects like Sovereign and Stacks, with the influencer stating, quote, one would be in the top 15 of TVL list and the other would be in the top 25. Why are they not included? Well, it's because we don't get along, Pomp. I mean, how hard is this to understand? It's like only BTC matters. So of course Ethereum's not going to list any BTC products. We don't list any Ethereum products. It's whatever. Pompliano's post about Sovereign has garnered criticism from Ethereum ecosystem proponents who refuted the idea that Sovereign had amassed a 10-figure TVL. Quote, Chainlink God, or, okay, Chainlink God suggested staked governance tokens may have contributed to an exaggerated TVL estimate. Since Pompliano's original post, DeFi Llama has adjusted its data for Sovereign, now listing the project at having a TVL of just $52 million. The updated data now matches the TVL provided by Sovereign's own wiki. In a Thursday statement, DeFi Llama confirmed that its previous estimates of Sovereign's TVL was nearly $2 billion and had indeed resulted from including the capitalization of staked assets. The data aggregator added that it will soon issue an update to its website, allowing users to choose whether or not staked assets are included in TVL data. Since decentralized finance exploded in popularity during 2020, TVL has emerged as the dominant metric by which a protocol success is measured. However, many analysts have argued that TVL is reduction, reductionistic and should not be treated as the sole measure of a DeFi project's progress. Speaking to Cointelegraph, CoinGecko co-founder Bobby Ong stated that much like how market capitalization has become the primary measure of a token or coin success, TVL has risen in popularity due to its simplicity, emphasizing the convenience of establishing one number to compare against all DeFi protocols. Quote, it's not the perfect measure, but it is the most straightforward measure for people to understand and use as a benchmark, he added. Ong believes that total trading volume should be the primary metric that decentralized exchanges or DEXs are measured by, noting that volume drives protocol revenue. For the same reason, he argued that borrowing volume should be the principal measure of money market protocols. <clears throat> Ong also recommended that analysts place a greater emphasis on combining TVL with other key metrics to illustrate the capital efficiency of liquidity locked in a given protocol. For a DEX, looking at trading volume slash TVL will give a measure of how efficiently the liquidity is utilized to drive fees for the protocol and LPs, end quote. 
Ong also argued that dividing a project's TVL by its market capitalization or fully diluted evaluation, FDV, is useful for comparing DeFi projects operating in the same segment. Yes, indeed. And you know why? Because this is called ratio metric comparisons. I should probably actually say that, but we're coming up on the end of the hour and I've got some other stuff to get through. So look up ratio, ratiometry, all right? Um, I used to do ratiometric studies in cellular, uh, in, well, in single cells under a microscope where we would fluoresce at different wavelengths and we would divide one, not the wavelength, we would divide the amplitude of one wavelength by the amplitude of the other wavelength so that we would get a much better picture of what was going on because it didn't depend on calibration of how much dye, the fluorescent dye that I was putting into the mixture for the cells. It didn't depend on that. If I had only one wavelength that I was looking at, i.e. total value locked or just market capitalization, at that point, I would have to have had gone through a calibration process. Ratiometry basically blows any calibration process out of the water. So look up ratiometry and see what you find and apply it to what I just told you. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Matt Leonardo gave me today's uh, daily joke corner. My wife was complaining about being too hot, so she asked me to blow on her. I wasn't a fan. Oh, a good way to get slapped. All right. You know the drill. If you want to help the show, listen to it on the breeze while it uh, stream me sats for what your perceived value of this show is. Five-star review on uh, Apple iTunes and spreading the show, spreading the know. It would be nice and it's always appreciated because it is very, very helpful. With all that said, buddy, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.